destroy me and end up happier than ever? No way. He doesn't get to win. Whoever is beaten by a werewolf and lives becomes a werewolf himself. The census taker once tried to test me. I ate his liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Gina! <laughs> but I don't care, darling. Because I love you. Why do you eat people? Not people. Brains. I can feel myself rotten. Now, Sid, don't you blame the movies. Movies don't create psychos. Movies make psychos more creative. Huh, we'll A boy's best friend is his mother. Hello, welcome once again to Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, Volume 5. This is generally a monthly podcast, usually released around the 15th or middle of the month. However, due to recording You Know Nothing Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast, as well as my regular podcast of Dark Discussions, I was unable to continue to do Boutique while the You Know Nothing Jon Snow at Game of Thrones podcast was being recorded. However, now that Game of Thrones is over, I am able to focus more time now on this podcast here, Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. Um, Doing three podcasts at once would have been a little tough, uh, especially with the detail that went into uh, the Game of Thrones television show. Uh, a couple things. Uh, first off, I would like to uh, thank uh, some feedback I got from uh, Paul Houston. Paul Houston, thanks for uh, emailing me. The email came way back in July, uh, that which was basically the last episode. Uh, so thank you uh, for your feedback. Uh, basically, uh, some constructive criticism, uh, some ideas for the show and whatnot. Um, basically, I go into uh, a lot of detail. He figured I should uh, do a little more also on uh, my personal opinions of uh, the film and or the disc, the release itself uh, from the boutique label. Uh, a couple things. Uh, I remember the very first podcast of Halloween Boutique, Psychotronic Reviews. I actually mispronounced a word a few times and uh, oddly feel embarrassed. Uh, the, the word is hyperbole. I said hyperbole, as in uh, hyper, and since the second part of the word is B-O-L-E, bull as in pole, P-O-L-E. So I was mispronouncing it. Again, though, uh, the famous quote, I'm not sure who said it, but uh, I'm paraphrasing here, which is, don't ever insult a person for mispronouncing a word because what that means is they learn the word from reading. And sure enough, uh, that's the case with hyperbole for me. Uh, now, uh, um, 
this episode here, um, I'm hoping to do five films. I'm not sure which ones yet. I uh, actually um, recording this uh, a few days prior to my first uh, recording of uh, the movies. But basically, for folks who don't know or are unfamiliar with the podcast, uh, what I do here is review and give some history on uh, exploitation cinema. Exploitation cinema meaning sci-fi, horror, fantasy, thrillers, techno-thrillers, mysteries, grindhouse, drive-in films, and whatnot. Um, so uh, what I've been doing is I have a stack of, of discs, Blu-rays, and DVDs. I don't really get to talk about them that much with folks, uh, so I decided to do a podcast here where I would uh, review them uh, as a solo podcaster and give my opinions of the transfer of the movie, the extras on the movie, uh, a little bit uh, history of uh, the people in front of and behind the cameras, a little bit on the label itself that released the film, and my final thoughts on the movie and uh, I guess uh, the most important thing besides the movie, the transfer of the film itself. A lot of times some of these older films especially have been lost or thrown into the public domain or been on uh, collections like like a disc with 20 movies on it so they look terrible. Uh, the films uh, you can say are orphans in a sense because the original company that owned it went out of business and it just got stuck in limbo no one knows who owns the film and all those things or they just have a limited audience a little appeal and the owner of the film just sat on it and didn't know what to do with it however recently as we know with all these great companies that have come out uh, some still around some gone but some of the more uh, main ones today would be things such as Kino Lorba, uh, Screen Factory, Arrow, Code Red, Scorpion, Vinegar Syndrome, uh, Cult Epics, among many others. And uh, they're all here to uh, take the original negatives or the best print available, remaster it, give us a presentation with extras for films that deserve a better fate than what they have had. And now that uh, folks are able to see these obscure cult films or or somewhat popular films that just have had terrible presentations uh, we've lucked out fortunately with all these new companies. Um, I do re recommend people to uh, purchase these films or at least some of these films not necessarily the ones that I'm reviewing but from these companies especially since these companies are very small there's not much to do with them except a handful of people maybe five ten people at most work there they spend uh, a lot of their time and sweat it's not their full-time job it's a side thing and then they release it and they just have to hope that people will buy it otherwise it's a loss to them so uh, we should definitely support them unfortunately of course these movies are usually more expensive maybe twenty twenty five dollars versus 
the typical $12 to $15 disc that you could get from major studios like Warner Brothers and whatnot. But um, usually they're highly worth it, especially if you're fans of some of these films. Um, plus, it's, it's maybe the only way to actually see them in the pristine quality uh, that people would want to see them in. Um, now, if folks want to uh, email, uh, they can email me at darkdiscussions at AOL.com. reason for that is uh, this is a spinoff or part of the umbrella of the Dark Discussions podcast. Basically, Dark Discussions podcast is a weekly podcast, which is now over 300 episodes, where myself, co-host Eric, co-host Mike, co-host Abe, and co-host Christy uh, give our perspective on a new or, or recent film in uh, speculative fiction. Uh, some examples recently have been such mainstream fear as Get Out and Alien Covenant, all the way to obscure films like such films as the Polish language film The Lore or the um, indie film The Last Word. Uh, I highly recommend that you check that podcast out. We uh, do a deep critique and review of those films and uh, it's a uh, great fun. Uh, so anybody who wants to uh, check out that podcast can go to www.darkdiscussions.com which also is the webpage for Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. So uh, with that I guess we can get into uh, the movies. Again this is being recorded a few days prior to what films I've decided to watch and review. But uh, either way, uh, let's go ahead and uh, the magic begins where in a second it'll be two or three days later and I will be reviewing the first film. Uh, the next film I'm going to do is Beyond the Darkness. This is a film by Joe Diamato. Now, as I stated earlier, one of my uh, listeners... Uh, gave me some constructive criticism. And this is a film that I would go into deep detail about the director and the people behind it and what they've done in the past. But I'm going to uh, take his note, uh, Mr. Hewson, his uh, suggestion, and really just talk about uh, the film itself with just a little background about the people behind it in front of the camera. Um, and just review it because, uh, it, it, to be honest, doing it that way is a little easier because I don't have to do as much research because I'm really just talking about the film itself and the presentation and all the extras. So it's definitely a, a lot off, uh, my, my back to, to put together and talk about. Um, but he did have a good point, which is, um, I really just want to know is the film good and, and the presentation good and should I buy it? Uh, I don't really need to know about um, the history behind the director and the actress who played third string and whatever. Um, but either way, uh, this is called Beyond the Darkness, a film by Joe Diamato. Uh, now, since I, what I just said, I will just go into a little bit of um, detail about the people in front of and behind the camera. Uh, Beyond the Darkness 
um, there's a fairly, um, I wouldn't say it's obscure because I, I, notorious. It's a fairly notorious film. That's that's what I'm looking for. Um, it's had another title. Uh, the Italian title was called Bueo Omega, um, and there's a there's a little history behind that title, uh, specifically the Omega part because it's obviously a Greek uh, word. Um, but I'm not going to really go into that much because it really I didn't. I didn't really get what it had to do with the film itself. Uh, I mean, even the, the title Beyond the Darkness is as vague as you can get. Um, so the titles for the movie really doesn't even matter uh, when you think about it. Um, but Joe D'Amato is probably one of the big directors of that era. Um, basically, you have your quote-unquote classy exploitation directors like Mario Bava and Dario Gento and Sergio Martino. And then you have your more extreme directors uh, further away uh, from them, uh, where Sergio Martino and Argento, you could even argue, went to the more extreme side in some cases. But um, then you have like Bruno Mate and uh, the guy, what's the, I forget the guy's name offhand. Again, I didn't want to do research and just list stuff off uh, like I've done in the past. I wanted to change it up a bit. Uh, but the guy that did Cannibal Holocaust, uh, the, the guy that did um, uh, Cannibal Pharaoh, um, and whatnot. So, so there's a lot of directors um, that were more extreme, Italian directors specifically. Obviously, Joe D'Amato is an Italian director, uh, though when he did cinematography, he went by his real name and um, actually... Uh, was on a bunch of films uh, by big-time directors like Argento and Barber and all those guys, Martino, whatever, uh, where he was a cinematographer. Um, and then he went off and he did his own films as well, uh, meaning as director. Uh, Beyond the Darkness is one of them. Uh, this film here uh, was released by, uh, or I should say, re-released, because it's now remastered in Blu-ray by Severin Films. Uh, in this episode, I already did, or will be doing, depending on uh, the order I place the reviews, uh, by another Severin film, Bag Boy, Lover Boy. Uh, this will be the, the other uh, Severin film. Uh, this is actually another 2017 release by Severin. Uh, the film, though, was originally from 1979. It's a horror film for sure. Uh, again, it's notorious. Uh, it's been uh, cut and thrown on, the, I think, on the British um, uh, video nasty list and various other things. Um, but I, I do have uh, the disc myself. Um, and uh, oddly, it says, forbidden to anyone under 18 on the cover. And I think that's just hyperbole that they uh, put on from the original movie poster and marketing to... Uh, and whatnot, uh, though it is definitely an R-rated film. Um, uh, but uh, this is what, what it says in the back um, of jacket of the disc. The ultimate extreme shocker from Italy's most controversial filmmaker, now uncut, uncensored, and restored in high definition. It has been denounced as revolting, stomach-churning, and shower-prompting, while simultaneously acclaimed as bone-chilling, truly classic, and a must-see. Now, experience D'Amato's masterpiece like you've never seen or heard it before. 
Sinsla Monciale and Franca Stoppi star in the psychosexual sicky featuring torture, cannibalism, necrophilia, unrequited love, and other perversions, totally unscented and set to a pounding score by Goblin. Severin is proud to present the Ultra Graphic Sleaze Fest, also known as Buried Alive in Bueo Omega, for which director Joe D'Amato was infamously accused of using real corpses. Intact, restored, and packed with exclusive new special features. A couple of blurbs are uh, as follows. Just thinking about this movie gives me the chills. Uh, so, one of the most sickening movies ever made, a film not to be missed by fans of graphic, intense horror. And uh, a great movie, gory, kinky, and surreal in a way only Diamato could deliver. The, this, the three main actors, uh, I mentioned two of them, Cinzia Monreale, uh, she's the, uh, an actress from the movie The Beyond, second billed actress on, in that movie, uh, directed by Lucio Fulci, and Franca Stoppi, uh, she was in another, uh, I think a Bruno Mate film called The Other Hell, that was actually just released by Severin on disc two, but I have not seen that or, or bought that one. Uh, and then the, the lead male actor is Kieran Cantier. And Kieran Cantier is actually an American actor uh, that did a lot of films in um, Europe. Uh, some of the behind-the-scenes stuff talks about how he actually dated both lead actresses in this film, uh, both Franca Stoppi and Cinzia Montreale. Um and then as his career began to falter, he, he got into um, what I believe were some uh, adult blue films uh, later in his career. Uh, he's the only person of note that does not have anything uh, on the disc where basically once he quit films, he disappeared and, and, and does not do interviews and whatnot, uh, probably because of um, two reasons. One, some people look at B-movies just trash. Uh, but also, he, like I said, got into some blue films later in his career, so maybe he just wants to uh, uh, live a private life and, and not have to deal with um, what people would think. But either way, um, uh, this film has uh, been re fully remastered, as I stated. Only the first two or three minutes are a little bit uh, grainy, uh, but after that, the movie looks brand new. Uh, and it's in an excellent presentation. So if you're into this film or Joe D'Amato films, uh, Severin's disc is the way to go. Uh, it does have a couple of cool things. First off, it has the movie and all the extras, which includes an uh, interview with Joe D'Amato himself, interview with actress Franca Stoppi, interview with actress Cinzia Morreale, um, a live performance of uh, the theme music uh, by Goblin, uh, the band, uh, on stage. Uh, there's an awesome, um, I think, 20-minute, 30-minute uh, extra locations revisited. So they show the things that we see in the movie, and then they re-show it today. So whoever um, made the documentary actually revisited the, um, the, the sites that the film was, was um, filmed at. And uh, then they 
I show cuts of the movie t with the new footage of modern day 2016, 2017, uh, what the place looks like now. And the movie is, is in a beautiful, beautiful location. It's uh, on the Austrian border, not too far from Liechtenstein, um, in the mountains. Um, and so think of um, those European villages, uh, even though it's Italy, very, very German-looking, um, and uh, definitely a place that, that would attract tourists, for sure. Um, then also you get with it, a um, CD soundtrack of the entire score by Goblin, um, which is pretty damn good. Uh, folks who aren't familiar with Goblin, Goblin is uh, the band that did the scores for Deep Red and Suspiria, uh, and I think even Tenenbrough for uh, Dario Argento. Uh, they are awesome. Um, they, they just make uh, some damn good music for uh, horror films, uh, you know, if you like John Carpenter, Goblin is as good as him, so, uh, iconic music, for sure, and this one here, Beyond the Darkness, the music for this, same thing, um, now, uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, just getting the, the movie plus the CD, and it's all for 22 bucks or so, that, that's, that's just fantastic, uh, especially if you're a fan of, uh, the movie, um, so when we do set up the film, basically, basically um, we have this guy that lives, a fairly wealthy guy, young guy, maybe in his late 20s, uh, that lives in a villa in this uh, mountain village, uh, and he has uh, a woman that lives with him who's the housekeeper. She's lived with him even before his parents had passed away. Basically, his parents died um, I forget why, it may have been like a car accident or something, but either way, um, his family's dead, he's inherited the home, um, and he kept on the housekeeper, um, and she's become, in some ways, a de facto parent to him, in a, way, in a sense. Uh, there's a very odd and unhealthy relationship between him and her. Um, I won't say what it is, you'll have to watch the film. Um, but... Uh, they're both adults, and honestly, there's no reason why they couldn't date, but uh, their relationship's a little different than, than just dating. Um, this guy has a girlfriend who's become ill. Uh, she's been in a hospital for, for um, a long time. Uh, a long time. I mean, you don't really figure, but, but you figure it's at least a month, if not longer, um, with some sort of illness. Uh, there is a quick supernatural element that occurs, the only supernatural element in the film, and it actually may not even be supernatural. Um, it is some sort of supernatural um, wish. In other words, a group, of, a, a couple of people do something that they would hope would cause a supernatural event, but it also could just be coincidence what occurs. But either way... Um, the girl passes away in the hospital. Obviously, our um, lead actor is, is devastated. His future wife has died at a very young age. He's now left alone again, uh, except with the housekeeper. And then, based off of his odd relationship with the housekeeper, we get an idea that he's a little off anyway. And so what he does is 
digs up her grave of uh, his fiance, and the film begins. Now, there's a couple of things. First off, how he makes his money. Uh, he's a taxidermist, so he's like Anthony Perkins from uh, Bates Motel or Psycho, whatever. Uh, but unlike there, it's not a hobby. He actually makes uh, a lot of money selling uh, taxidermy animals. Some of it's under under the table, like there's uh, a baboon that he gets hired to um, do uh, a taxidermy for, and it's not stated, but it can be assumed based off of how it's done that it is probably illegal that the baboon would be in anybody's possession. So, uh, it's a dead animal, but either way, it's um, they, they, it appears that they shouldn't have it. So, so it's, he's a little, you know, he has some petty, petty criminal stuff going on. Never mind his odd relationship with his housekeeper. And then he snaps and he digs up a grave. You, you can probably gather where this is going. A taxidermist and digging up a grave, right? Um, so I won't explain what further happens because uh, you should see the film. But let's just say it's unhealthy. Um, the, the, the lot of gore that does occur in this film is specifically related to um, the, I guess, the, the gutting of a human corpse. Um, so that's where we get uh, a lot of the, I guess, the, the problems with the British censors where he, our director, Joe D'Amato, was thought to have actually used real corpses. Um, again, that's not true, of course. It basically, is, you, you go to any, any farm that, um, you know, that has beef, pigs, whatever, um, the intestines are all tossed out because no one eats that, and, and you collect it there, and you can use it in a movie, and that's what they do here. Um, but either way, there's uh, a number of deaths that occur um, and then there's a lot of um, jealousy and then there's even a, a plot twist uh, where there's three different individuals basically uh, I guess it's a, three, a, a love triangle that's what you would call it and uh, yeah it's, it's uh, definitely unhealthy for all involved but yeah, this this definitely has a lot of gore, specifically the 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 autopsy quote unquote autopsy scene, um, a lot of nudity. Uh, again, this is an Italian '70s horror flick, so you get all the gore and the nudity that you would expect in a midnight movie. This is the type of film that was most certainly played uh, um, in the midnight movie theaters of Manhattan and L.A. and whatnot back in the day. And they, it made a big run on the video market. Joe D'Amato was always known for these type of films. Uh, this is actually uh, the first Joe D'Amato film I've ever seen, though I've I've heard um, numerous things about him, or I should say about his films. Though uh, uh, his his interview is fairly normal. He seems like a pretty normal guy. Uh, he has passed away now, and so this interview was from. Uh, prior to his passing, but, um, yeah, he seemed like a pretty interesting guy, uh, had a good head on his shoulders, 
Um, he did dabble in not just horror films, but a lot, as a lot of directors in both America and Europe and in Japan, uh, they all have dabbled in both naughty films as well as in uh, horror films. So in other words, um, Sean Cunningham, who directed Friday the 13th and produced Last House on the Left, Wes Craven, uh, everybody knows him, I don't have to explain who he is, uh, they dabbled in naughty films prior to becoming big. Joe D'Amato um, has that a little bit in his career as well, so that was interesting to learn that. Um, but all in all, uh, the film itself, is it worth seeing? Um, well, yeah, it's it, honestly, it's not... A lot of, a lot of films don't scare me anymore. Um, you know, uh, but this film here um, does have a feel... Uh, you can see where Eli Roth got his ideas for, like, Hostel and stuff, like, like from a guy like Joe D'Amato, for example. Um, this film here has all the elements of what you would want in a midnight horror film from 1970s from Europe. Uh, again, it's got obsessive blood and guts. Yep, it has nudity. Not not as much nudity as a lot of these Italian films, but, but it has enough that um, you wouldn't see. You know, it was definitely a, a staple for 70s films. Um, and... Unlike a lot of uh, these films, Italian films, uh, the, the plot was actually pretty easy to follow. I mean, a lot of times people think Italian films or state, state Italian films um, are more atmosphere and less plot, and the films become great because of the atmosphere and not the plot. So, for example, Suspiria is a great film because of the atmosphere more than the story itself. Uh, but this film here actually has a story that is fairly easy to follow. Um, it does have some weird elements, though. I mean, there's this, like I said, there's a weird love triangle. There's a weird relationship between the housekeeper and um, the lead man. Um, so it still has all these weird midnight elements that these Italian films are filled with, whether it's Argento or Fulci or Sergio Martino, or Bavar, or whatnot. But, that stated, the story is fairly straightforward, even if it is messed up. Uh, and, again, it's a horror film, so it's going to be messed up. I mean, it's no more messed up, when you think about it, than Norman Bates from Psycho. So, um, it's just more graphic, because it's 1979. Um, so, so, yeah, it's, it's actually a pretty good story, uh, and easy to follow. It's a, a fairly short film, or not really, I mean, it's an hour and 30 minutes, so it's a standard length horror film. Um, but um, the presentation alone um, makes it worth getting. So if you're a fan of 70s horror, European horror, um, this this is this is the, the version you want to get. If you're, you're one of the collectors of Video Nasties, this is the one you want to get because it's fully remastered has awesome extras on it but one of the things that makes this uh, also a good film is again the score uh, Goblin does one of the best horror scores for any movie and they do it for this film and this one uh, is fairly famous it's, it's 
most horror fans who've never seen this film know the music. And so now you get to see the movie in pristine condition with some music that you've probably already heard uh, and just didn't know where it came from. Um, so yeah, this is this is a, a pretty damn good film. Um, I, I'm I'm glad I bought the disc. I'm definitely gonna rewatch it again. It's, uh, it's a film that I'll probably rewatch um, during the Halloween month. Um, it's pretty pretty cool. Uh, the one thing that uh, was disappointing about this release is uh, it doesn't have the reversible artwork. So we have um, the the uh, Beyond the Darkness artwork, but we don't have the original uh, Bueo Omega or Buried Alive artwork posters from the 70s. Uh, so it's not like you can reverse the cover. Uh, again, that's just a nitpick for, for the release itself. Uh, but generally, uh, top quality disc, top quality uh, exploitation horror film, and a hell of a lot of good extras, including... Uh, interview by Joe Diamato himself, as well as both of the lead actresses. And, of course, you get the soundtrack disc with uh, with the Blu-ray. So, high recommend. The film I am going to review is another new film. Uh, this one is from 2014. It is actually a asylum film asylum is a company that releases a lot of knockoff films so for example if you have star wars or the transformers they would release something called uh, star battle or the transfigurines or something you, you, you get my drift so they, they take a great idea or a great film or in some cases a high profile film but not a great film like one of the Transformer films, and then um, try to make money by doing their own version of the film. Generally, their production values aren't necessarily that good, though they do have um, fairly decent CGI. In some cases, they do have a lot of exploitation elements or cuts of a lot of their films, and they also do a lot of their films for the Sci-Fi Network, um, where... Uh, they do some odd films like Shock the Puss versus Giant Croc, those type of films as well. Um, so they're not necessarily known for big budget films or top quality films. But this film here, this film here is called Jailbait. Again, it's a 2014 film. Uh, Jailbait uh, had a subtitle at one point, I believe, called 17 to Life. Uh, so, Jailbait, 17 to Life. Um, the film actually stars uh, a fairly popular actress for cult and genre films. Uh, her name is uh, Sarah Malako Lane, uh, and she's uh, a pretty damn good actress, really good-looking actress. And um, uh, has a, a pretty big following for um, films that are in the speculative fiction or exploitation or horror films. Some of her bigger works that folks may know is she was one of the lead actresses of the film Sunchoke, which um, was a fairly popular film 
in 2016 uh, on the Dark Discussions podcast. I rated it as, I believe, the third best horror film of 2016, um, and she was one of the stars of that. Um, now, let me read uh, a little bit about this this here. It says that it's based on the graphic novel, uh, so I'm, I don't know too much about the graphic novel. I don't know who wrote it or produced it, um, but I believe that's where the 17 to Life subtitle comes from, so Jill Bates 17 to Life uh, folks may be interested if they are into graphic novels. Um, and this is what the back jacket of the disc says. It says, After killing her stepfather in self-defense, Anna Nix is sent to a juvenile detention center. As she struggles to survive in a world of girl gangs and predatory guards, Anna must fight her dark side and stay above the fray. Uh, some of the blurbs on the, the disc. It says, in the vein of Orange is the New Black. And another one says, Sexy and provocative thriller in the vein of Showgirls and Wild Things. Um, now, this is definitely a very dark film. And I have not seen Orange is the New Black. But I heard that that even though it is a drama with some dark moments, it also uh, is a little lighter than most films of of that topic, which is, I guess, uh, people in jail, or specifically women in jail. Uh, but obviously, at the time, that show became popular. Uh, there you go. Asylum decides to make a knockoff. They call it jailbait, and there you go. Um, but I have not seen Orange is the New Black, so I cannot say if this knockoff is really a knockoff of the show or they were just writing on the coattails of women in prison being a popular genre once again uh, because of that television show on Netflix. Um, I did read, though, that uh, besides the fact that women in prison is a popular subgenre of, of uh, exploitation cinema, film, and television right now, uh, that was the only thing that it has in common with the show Orange is the New Black. Um, the showgirls and wild things, uh, blurb, I, I don't see that either, except for maybe the exploitation elements of this film. Uh, honestly, this is a true, uh, film, uh, in the vein of, uh, the woman in prison films of bygone days. Women in prison films from yesteryear, mostly, uh, the, from probably 69 to the mid 80s. Uh, mostly uh, done by independent uh, cinema, uh, the roughy grindhouse cinemas of New York City, or a lot of foreign films from like Italy and, and Spain and, and France and Germany and whatnot. Basically what happens is a woman goes to jail, whether she's guilty or not. Terrible things happen. So you have abuse by prison gangs, uh, abuse by um, the guards or the warden, uh, uh, attacks, both physical, sexual, mental, and, um, a lot of female nudity. And, um, this film, um, pretty much has all that. Uh, the only thing it, it doesn't have, like some of those bygone, uh, women in prison films is, uh, the woman warden. 
instead it's a it's a man that's that's probably the the big difference that i noticed um but that's that's uh, pretty much about it um it's obviously modern versus uh um period pieces of the 70s or 60s or 80s and whatnot uh but all in all um uh has a lot of those elements in other words it does fall into the women in prison subgenre of speculative uh fiction and exploitation cinema um now the film's directed by a guy named jared cone jared cone um has done a lot of asylum films uh he's he's one of their staple directors one of the guys that they like to use uh, but he has actually done a lot of films recently within the past four years or so that have been fairly popular on the horror scene. Uh, whether they're any good or not is debatable. A lot of them are flawed, or at least the ones that I've seen. But generally, um, they do a pretty good steady business. Uh, examples of some of the films that this guy has directed um, that some people may have heard of are... 12 12 12 so december 12th 2012 uh that's like a i think it's like a devil born to a child that that day or something i, I haven't seen it but it does star uh the same lead actress um sarah malako lane also uh he has done films called devil's domain death pool the horde Locked Up, and his most recent film, The Domicile. I've actually seen two of those films. I've seen Death Pool, and I've seen The Domicile. Um, Death Pool was actually a pretty interesting film. Uh, unfortunately, the, the ending falls a little flat, but it was a pretty solid little uh, thriller, um, and probably worth checking out. Uh, the Domicile was a curious film because it was excellently produced and and filmed but the story was fairly lame uh and oddly uh sarah maleko lane is in has uh cameos in death pool and a fairly decent sized role in the domicile so obviously she's one of um jared Cohn's uh main actors or actresses that he likes to work with um sarah maleko lane is an interesting actress uh she is actually half English, half Thai, though um, you, you would just assume she's she was 100% uh, Caucasian. Um, she did a lot of films in Thailand uh, and then moved to uh, the States and uh, has, has basically been in the States uh, for years doing uh, films now. Um, she is definitely not an actress that is shy about uh, nudity. Because um, almost every film that she does, she uh, does a lot of nudity, uh, including Full Frontal. And in this case, this film here, most certainly. Uh, Sunchoke she did as well. Um, now, uh, the disc itself actually has a couple of extras. They're not many, but um, they do have a couple. One is uh, um, The Making of Jailbait, which is about a 10 to 15 minute little documentary interviews uh the actor lead actress it interviews uh, some of the supporting actors and it also interviews the director and then there's a gag reel which is basically bloopers and that's another 10 to 15 minute thing and then of course there's trailers um 
oddly, the, the making of GLB, it was fairly damn good. Um, it showed the location. It was a, a jail that was open from 1892 to like 2004. It's in California. Closed in uh, 2004. And um, folks can rent it out for filming. And that's what uh, these folks did here. The asylum folks did. Um, and it had a lot of really interesting tidbits. Unfortunately, it's only 15, 10 to 15 minutes long. It would have been better to maybe to have a director's commentary or uh, even an hour long or half hour long documentary about the film. I would have been very curious. Uh, but the f 10 to 15 minute making of it was pretty damn good. It, it really did give us a lot of information that um, I was curious about. Um, now, uh, what, basically what happens is, is the lead actress... Uh, her character, she is a cello player. Um, her goal is to go to um, university, uh, music conservatory university. And unfortunately, her mother is is married to a a sick scumbag, basically her stepfather. Um, the mother is a lot of times absentee, does works to, uh, uh, long hours, so she's not around much. And our um, stepfather, he is a scumbag, so he tries to or has been what we would should say um, um, sexually abusing our lead actress's character. During one of these unfortunate incidents. There's an accident, and her stepfather dies. She is put on trial for his murder, and is uh, sentenced to three to five years prison. And her mother actually testifies against her, being the typical uh, either battered woman or, um, you know, trying to. <laughs> disbelieve the truth she sells out her daughter to protect probably her own uh, image or her own life and the memory of her uh, deceased husband who again is a scumbag um, she gets thrown in jail as you can gather um, first day is terrible as always and she's thrown in with this this woman who's a fairly decent person and um, what happens is she's a loner and people begin to target her for um, things. So for uh, money or for, you know, whatever. And, and what happens is she eventually decides to join up with this girl gang, Caucasian gang, after an African-American gang decides to target her as a, um, I don't know, as, a, as basically uh, to bully her, basically. So she gets hooked up with this group, and it's, a, it's interesting because there are a lot of gray here because a lot of the, the people in jail are, aren't necessarily good people, obviously, but they do show some... Uh, signs of decency every so often. So, for example, you can have someone say, if you ever 
break out of my group and go independent. We're going to kill you or beat you the hell out of you or whatever. But that same person, after they get what they want, which is, you know, loyalty and whatnot, they treat their their uh, toadies, basically, uh, well and are actually kind to them. So there's a lot of curious things that happen. Um, there's, there's scenes of drug use because obviously um, a lot of people in jail are either troubled folks in the first place, whether they have behavioral health issues or whether they are just simply depressed because they're in jail and they get hooked on illegal substances. And and so you have that going on. Um, you got people trying to recover from that. You have people um, being abused physically, mentally, sexually, all these things. Um, it's not fairly graphic in that sense that though there is a lot of nudity, there's not really anything over the top that would be uh, out of a normal R-rated film. The only thing that stands out is probably the nudity that would make it different than an R-rated film, uh, and that nudity is is not any different than anything you would see on a television show like Game of Thrones, for that matter. Um, so the, the main setup, besides her going into jail for the 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 death or murder of her uh, stepfather, even though it was in self-defense and it was accidental, um, she basically has to deal with the fact that her life is ruined, or at least she thinks it is, because her her goal and scholarship to this music conservatory obviously is gone. She's going to be in jail for at least three years. She is obviously alone, doesn't know anybody. Uh, she's not a hardened criminal like a lot of people who are in the jail. And she is... Uh, somewhat naive, at least at the beginning. So what it is, is she has to come to grips with the realization that she's stuck here while also trying to survive as a pawn of the girl gang that she eventually joins, uh, avoiding trouble or attacks from other gangs, including the African-American group that uh, is out to get the new fish, as well as avoiding trouble with the staff of the jail, including the warden. A lot of times uh, things happen where she gets in a fight, uh, unprovoked, but obviously she defends herself, and she's thrown into the brig, uh, basically, that's, I guess, I'm calling it the brig, but it's basically solitary, uh, dark room. Uh, the only food that you get is uh, mush, basically, and you don't get any utensils. They, they don't allow you to wear clothes because you could hang yourself, and so you have to use your hands to eat, and so forth. Um, she does uh, befriend one of the the nurses or doctors, you're not really quite sure. I think she is a, the woman's a doctor and she becomes a little bit friendly with her. Uh, she and the roommate, her cellmate I should say, uh, become fairly friendly and she actually does become fairly friendly with the head of 
uh, the gang that she joins. Now, she has to worry about certain things. She has to worry about the temptations of drugs. She has to worry about prison corruption because there's a big side plot that comes into effect maybe 40 minutes into the film that um, it directly involves her where she is put into situations that are are uh, I guess I'm trying to say things without spoiling anything but basically she's put into situations that um, no one should have to be put into and it includes people that happen to work in the jail so uh, the staff of the prison um, now is the film any good and where can you find it well first of all you can get the disc it's only on DVD and you can get it for under ten dollars anywhere um, it's brand new you can buy the, the DVD for $8.99 or so uh, that's what I did actually because uh, I wanted to see the the making of however the last I checked you can also find it on Netflix and that's actually where I first saw this film uh, and I still believe it is available on Netflix right now um, so if you have a, a member of uh, Netflix you can get it right on VOD for free with the, the fee of obviously for for Netflix and you can watch it there it's about an hour and a half film um, and it is uh, easy and quick to find uh, and again on uh, disc um, for $8.99 whenever it it leaves Netflix usually they a lot of their films have like a two to five year period and then they they, have to, they leave when it, when it leaves you can still get to see it for fairly cheap which is cheaper than uh, most uh, movies at the theater or for that matter most discs most discs are 15 bucks or more and this you can get for $8.99 um, so is the film any good well you can probably guess that I'm gonna say it is because if I saw it for free and then I wanted to check out the, the making of documentary and actually bought the disc that would say okay you must like it and sure enough yes that's the case uh, it is a really good film I enjoyed it a lot um, I think this was the first film that I ever saw Sarah Malacca Lane in and uh, yeah she's, she's a solid actress and I can understand why um, director Jared Cohn has used her in uh, multiple films that he's directed. Um, the story is actually pretty good. Um, I, fe I felt it was realistic. The acting is actually phenomenal. You would think, oh, it's a low-budget asylum feature. But nope, nope, the acting is really good. These people can act. They were proud for the work they were doing, whether it was an exploitation film or not. Um, they definitely were using this film as a, something that they would put on their resume because of the performances alone. It is in no way comedic. It's very dark, uh, very, very dark, um, and uh, just for the subject matter alone. Uh, so if you like dark, gritty um, films, exploitation films, genre films, this, this is a good one. Uh, the the story itself is actually pretty good. Um, I, actually, I think it's solid. 
uh, for a woman in prison film, it, it's one of the better ones for a story because it's it's more into uh, reality than um, some of the ones that Roger Corman made, for example. Roger Corman made a lot of them in the 70s. They were pretty damn good, um, but uh, they were like jungle ones or they were um, over the top. They're here. They try to keep this one in uh, the quote-unquote real world. So they try to make it as realistic as possible. Um, there, there obviously is things that people can point out and say, well, I don't believe that, I don't believe that. But, you know, that's any type of exploitation or midnight movie. Um, some of the odd nitpicks I've seen was, why would a celloist uh, have a tattoo on her neck? Why would a celloist have breast implants, you know, things like that, because obviously the actress, uh, Sarah Molecula Lane, uh, she's, uh, you know, she's a model quality type of woman, and she has a, a tattoo, and, and most likely, um, um, plastic surgery or whatnot, you know, the, again, these are nitpicks, this was in, actually in a review that I read online, I forget what website, but it, it was fairly silly, I felt, because I mean, what, you know, I mean, what, what determines who has what and if whatever their profession is or whatever their hobby is, I mean, made no sense. Um, but besides nitpicks, uh, most reviewers that I saw online actually said they thought it was a pretty solid film too, and I would have to agree with them. Uh, so uh, once again, this is uh, Jailbait. And that's pretty much all you need to know for the title. One word, jailbait. Uh, search for it anywhere. It sounds like a fairly um, generic title. So if that's an issue, you can always search for Lane, the last name. So search for like jailbait and Lane, L-A-N-E, for the actress, or Cohn for the director, C-O-H-N. And uh, it'll pop up on any online store. And, of course, Netflix, if it's still there. Uh, but yes, I highly recommend by me. I thought it was a solid hour and a half. Um, I watched it a second time just to review it here on Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews. And uh, worth a shot. The show, actually, not movie, but the show I'm going to review uh, in this uh, segment is called Bryn Hilder. In the Darkness. Uh, Brune Hilder in the Darkness uh, is actually a Japanese anime. So it is a cartoon, uh, an R-rated cartoon, um, 13 episodes, and it's a um, filled with, with horror and exploitation and science fiction elements. Basically, it is uh, directed... Um, well, not actually directed, but it's it's created by the same guy that created Elfin Lied. Elfin Lied is an interesting um, series. Basically, what it is is Japan usually has these 13, 12 to 13 episodes, seasons of uh, cartoons. A lot of them are, are R-rated. A lot of them are PG-13 rated. So we're not just talking, you know, G-rated Bugs Bunny stuff. Uh, they're actually themed in supernatural or horror or 
um, comedy hijinks in high school and things like that. So depending on what subgenre, um, they're not necessary for children. Um, this one here is actually a horror one. Um, but Elfin Lied, which is the original um, show that was created by uh, this guy, um, he he actually um, made, I, a lot of people would say it's, it's a groundbreaking in a sense, because Elfin Lied was highly stylized, violent, and filled with nudity. Uh, basically, it was about a woman or, or girls that were being, um, I guess, uh, either they had psych, psychic or telekinetic powers, or they were being experimented on to become uh, telekinetic or psychic or whatever. And basically, they escape, or at least one does, and tries to hide with a normal uh, people or novel neighborhood and whatnot and then of course they're hunted down by the quote-unquote company and violence ensues including um, body parts being ripped to shreds heads being ripped off things like that uh, I know the the first scene of, of Elf and Lied was pretty um, um, memorable for the fact that th this woman it's completely nude, and she's walking through this underground bunker. And when soldiers come after her, she uses telekinetic powers and literally just rips the bodies to pieces and shreds. Uh, so, obviously, um, uh, we're talking hard R ratings. And she obviously escapes, and there you go, because, you know, she has these superpowers in a sense. Uh, you know, like almost like X-Men type powers. Uh, but either way, Elf and Lied is now considered a classic anime. It's from the last 10 years. I forget what year. I didn't, I obviously, I'm, I'm not doing research on that uh, show. I'm doing research instead on Brunhilder in the Darkness, uh, which is by the same guy that did Elf and Lied. But uh, Brunhilder in the Darkness is a 2014 a series. Uh, it was fairly popular in Japan. And um, it did actually uh, pretty good when it got uh, a run uh, through the States. Uh, basically what happens is a lot of companies will pick up Japanese programs, Japanese anime, and will uh, then release them in the States. Uh, but sometimes they, they dub a lot of these cartoons. And when they do the dubbing, that means they're putting in a lot of money into the show. Because uh, obviously you have to hire... Um, people who can uh, translate the script, and then of course you have to hire all the actors and actresses to uh, dub the series. Uh, but a lot of times, what they do is they'll just license the show. They, they think it'll make some money, but it won't sell a whole lot. So they just release the show with Japanese uh, language track and English subtitles. But in some cases, they will dub because they think the series will be highly successful in the States, for example. And uh, this series here, being from the same creator as Elf and Lied, they most certainly uh, did a dubbing. So, uh, in other words, they put some money into the, to the uh, release. Um, now, let me read the back of the label. Uh, and this is what it says. It says... Um, Haunted by memories of his childhood friend 
Kuroneko, Ryota Murakami has dedicated himself to discovering the truth behind the claim she'd made before she died, that aliens from other worlds walk among us. Believing that becoming a scientist is the path to the truth, Murakami pursues his studies by day and peers through a telescope at night. But when a girl named Kuroha Niko joins his class, the answers he sought may be closer than he ever expected. For Kuroha looks exactly like an older version of Kuroniko and seems to have abilities that no human could have. But the truth isn't the only thing Murakami is about to uncover, and the secrets he'll learn come with a deadly price. Because Kuroniko was right, and there are those who will do anything to keep that knowledge hidden. And unless Murakami and a handful of unlikely allies can somehow survive this lethal purge, the entire human race could be doomed in Brunhilder in the darkness. Um, now there's a story behind the title, Brunhilder in the Darkness, but I don't want to get into much of it because it could spoil a little bit. Uh, the show, but uh, I'll say one thing. Uh, Brunhilder is um, a name of a Valkyrie. Um, one of the, the Valkyries from the, the Icelandic sagas and Eddas. Um, Brunhild, uh, also uh, another name for the Valkyrie, um, fell in love with Siegfried, who was this like hero similar to like a Hercules, but in uh, Norse mythology. And um, and so forth. Um, now, um, with that stated, I won't say any more because uh, I don't want to spoil anything. But I will uh, do a setup of the the story, uh, what I felt of the story, whether it was any good, and uh, the the disc presentation itself. Um, uh, so basically, we have um, Ryoto, or his last name Murakami. So I'll, I'll just go with Murakami. Uh, Murakami has this this friend Kuro Niko. Uh, so episode one, it's basically um, the two, a boy and a girl, uh, children, maybe like 12 years old, uh, maybe even younger. It could be 10 to 12, uh, who are into um, the stars, tel uh, telescopes and whatnot. Um, but what happens is. Um, obviously, as, as stated in the back jacket, re, re, uh, I mean, uh, Kuroniko, the girl, uh, believes that there's more than meets the eye with outer space. Uh, however, a tragic accident occurs where, um, as they are uh, climbing this, the, or walking uh, this dam, and when I say dam, I mean like one of these humongous ones, like you would see... Um, like, like the one in um, Nevada, for for example, where which holds and creates a Lake Mead, for example. So a giant, like ten-story dam. Um, the girl, she falls and dies. Uh, to her, uh, you know, she's she's gone. And um, Murakami, the boy. When this happens, he falls and bangs his head, and so he's un out cold. And when he wakes up in the hospital, um, he's healed and whatnot. And then he's, he keeps on asking about his um, friend, the girl, Kuroniko, and they to finally tell him that, yes, yeah, she didn't make it. 
Um, and then we flash forward 10 years into the future or six years in the future, whatever, depending on the age, basically a high school senior. So the kids were 10, that would be eight years in the future. Um, and he's still haunted with the loss of his friend. He's still haunted with the whole incident, what happened, uh, and has stayed in the back jacket of the disc. He becomes infatuated with uh, science and space and telescopes. And fortunately for him, uh, in the town that he lives in, there is a giant uh, telescope, one of the ones that um, scientists use or universities use. Uh, so um, he's a member, or, or actually I think the president of the astronomy club, and as a result they get access to um, the telescope every so often. Um, then this girl moves into town and becomes a fellow student. And the thing is, is that except for the fact that she's now a teenager of 18 years old, and so somewhat different than the 10-year-old girl that he used to know um, eight years prior, she looks like an adult version of the girl that died on the dam. And he's convinced that she is her. Uh, so obviously you get some awkward moments where he freaks out and says, oh my God, it's your back and whatever. And, and she's like, who are you? What are you talking about? Um, but either way, um, a couple of things happen in this first episode, where it, which is a girl gets uh, uh, stuck in a pool and is about to drown, and this new girl saves her. And then later, as they're taking the bus home from school, something happens that proves, if not the same girl as the eight-year-old or ten-year-old that died years ago, uh, this new student has some interesting power or ability that makes her special. So, as I said, I've been Elf and Lied, where um, we have like these X-Men type women who, well, this, this here, this Brunhilder in the darkness, kind of has that same premise at least at least some people have said so anyway uh, though it's, it's it's very different in other ways um, but what happens is um, our, our lead boy here Miracamo, um becomes friends with this girl this new girl and he gets brought into her world or what is going around in other words her I don't want to say her destiny but her her story and um, this leads to a big conspiracy that could n not just be something to do with the stars but also could have something to do with that accident that happened to him and the, his his little friend ten years prior um, now, uh, uh, some interesting things about this show, um, and, and oddly a lot of anime shows, Japanese, um, stories are like this, 
where the adults don't play much part in the show at all. So we don't really meet our lead actor's parents at all. Um, so if you can get break through the suspension of disbelief, where where are the teachers? Where are the people uh, that run the telescope? Where are his parents? How can he stay overnight for three or four days without his parents wondering where he is? If you can, if you can overlook those things, then th this th there shouldn't be a problem. But I could see some people saying you know nitpick and say you know why why don't they have this it's similar to like charlie brown uh the american cartoon where even though that's a comedy the parents are not involved at all um and uh the teachers are if they're involved at all that's only off screen and, and they don't even speak english they're just speaking blah 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 you know so um you could say it's kind of like that uh but with that nitpick out of the way um, let's talk about if the show's any good. Well, the show has some pretty interesting horror elements. There, it's definitely, definitely um, a horror show, uh, leaning towards the science fiction side of horror. Um, obviously, if there's telekinetic powers or a mysterious um, company that's after people. Um, uh, a, a, a girl that looks like someone that died 10 years earlier all these type of things yeah this is this is this is good horror um the, the show definitely has uh, a lot of violence a lot of blood uh similar to elf and lied a lot of nudity um uh it, it's there is some jokes there is comic relief every so often but no character in the show is over the top ridiculous in comic relief um a lot of japanese uh television shows that are animated have archetypes and they do have some here uh basically what what it is is you have um stuff called harem shows which is basically a lead male character surrounded by a bunch of women, like six or seven women, for example, and and some would say that this is similar to that because we do have our lead actor and the new girl, and then we're introduced to three to four other girls as well, and he becomes uh, the de facto leader of these five or six women that happen to um, begin to hang out in this group of folk that are going to try to solve this mystery. Um, and out of those characters, you have uh, some typical archetypes from Japanese anime. So you got um, the clumsy girl, you have the the sexy girl, you have the melancholy girl, you have the um, um, uh, promiscuous girl, you know, on and on. So, you know, it, I mean, this is similar to like the typical slasher movie. You have the the dumb blonde, you have the jerk guy, you have the the smart girl, you, you have the the dork kid, you know, on and on. So it's think of a slasher tropes. Japanese anime has their tropes as well. However, this show, since it is fairly heavy on the violence and nudity and exploitation elements and the horror elements for sure, 
uh, there's no over-the-top comic relief archetype that some of these shows would have, and those usually are annoying characters. Fortunately, this show does not have that. Um, the show's uh, pretty solid. Uh, I actually watched it uh, in three nights, um, so it's, it's like five hours worth of uh, uh, five and a half hours worth of um, TV shows. And um, I blew right through it. Um, I enjoyed it tremendously. Um, there's one one episode called OVA. Uh, I, I forget what it actually stands for, but basically it's usually a standalone episode that is more comic relief uh, that um, has the same characters but isn't necessarily part of the main story. And uh, it has one of those episodes. And that one actually fits in between, I think, episode 10 and 11, if you want to watch it in its quote-unquote true order, uh, which I did. And uh, But you don't have to. You can just watch that alone, or you don't even have to watch it at all because it isn't part of the main story. Uh, but for, fortunately, uh, the company that released this, the American company called Sentai, um, they actually got the rights to the OVA, and a lot of... Um, enemy don't get those rights and they only have the rights to the main show so you could argue that one of the, the extras or one of the best extras you can get for a show that is good is to get the, the OVA episode as well and uh, they do here they must certainly have it here uh, and that's a good thing um, again though a lot of folks have to understand that Japanese anime has a select audience so even if you love horror or exploitation or science fiction or all that stuff, um, you have to like anime. Um, for example, uh, co-host Abe of the Dark Discussions podcast is a huge anime fan, and he gets anime. Um, and so he can overlook some of the eccentricities that people sometimes see in anime while co-host Mike of Dark Discussion, who loves horror and science fiction and all that stuff, uh, never can really get into anime at all. Um, and uh, so, uh, fortunately, I'm one of the folks who, since I like horror and science fiction and all that stuff, um, can actually enjoy um, anime as well, even if it does have some eccentricities that uh, may put off uh, certain people. So if you... Um, like anime or you like horror and science fiction and exploitation, um, there's a chance you will like this show for sure. Um, but again, you have to uh, determine whether or not you are uh, one of those folks who can watch horror, science fiction, exploitation in a cartoon format. Um, and it's definitely not like the... the um, heavy metal movie from the 70s, which is a cartoon film. It's a little different than that, but general idea, different type of art form, though. Um, uh, so, yeah, I, I would recommend it. I don't know if you can see it, uh, where you can see it. Um, you may be able to see it on various anime sites. Uh, you can get subscriptions to anime sites, some, some of them like Crunchyroll and... Uh, uh, I don't know, there's a, there's a bunch of them, uh, but some of them are owned specifically by the releasing company itself, so if, for example, Sentai, for example, may be on, 
be part of crunchy roll but it may not be part of another place and so uh co-host abe of dark discussions mentioned to me that you would need subscriptions to um all sorts of websites if you want to see uh shows released by various production companies um funimation uh centaur there's a few others there's like three to five and each of them have their own um site um but netflix also has a bunch of anime too there's a whole section whether brunhilder in the darkness is on any of these i have no idea i can't you would have to do your own research um however you can buy the discs um and the disc is available uh through any online retailer um unfortunately enemies are usually more expensive than even boutique labels and that's because you're getting five and a half hours uh to ten and a half hours depending on uh what you get so for example some uh anime shows have two seasons so 24 episodes plus a couple of ova episodes and that's like 10 hours and uh, this one here is five and a half hours, so it's like buying two, two to three movies. Um, so I had to pay about thirty-three dollars or something, or twenty-nine ninety-nine or something like that for the disc. So it's a little more expensive than uh, a twenty-two dollar boutique label. But again, if you're a fan of the show or this type of stuff, and I'm here to let you know whether or not it's worth buying. So at least you got some information going in, not just dropping 33 bucks and saying, shit, why did I do that? Um, if you look at it as three movies, you know, two, uh, each movie's an hour and 35 minutes uh, times three, you know, it's close to five and a half hours there. You think three movies uh, on the low end are 15 bucks a piece for disc, a high end, they're 22 bucks a piece. So for $33, you know, for um, a Blu-ray with an entire season of two discs, uh, that's not a bad deal. Um, and I enjoyed it a lot. Um, and it probably does have re rewatch value, too. Obviously, you have to spend more time than a regular movie because it's five and a half hours. But, you know, it's like Game of Thrones. If you like the Game of Thrones show, you, you would have no problem... Uh, rewatching the episode after episode after episode, even if you've already seen it. Uh, so I, I would recommend it. Um, let me spell out the first name because it is a Norwegian first name. Brunhilder. B R Y N A H I L D R. Once again, B R Y N H I L D R. And uh, that's Brunhilder in the darkness. Um, and I would highly recommend it if you are fans of anima and fans of horror and science fiction anime as well. The film I'm going to review is an Australian film released by Vinegar Syndrome, Connecticut-based boutique label. Uh, the film is from 1970. Eight maybe seventy nine. It's actually uh, nineteen seventy nine. It's from. Uh, it's directed by a guy named Simon Winsor, and starring Chantel Contori and Sigrid Thornton, uh, the two lead actresses. Um, film's called Snapshot, but it actually had a different title for its international release, um, and that title 
is very, very, very misleading. However, some folks may be familiar with it. I was not, since I'm fairly new to midnight movies. But uh, the film was actually titled in the United States as The Day After Halloween, basically to cash in on John Carpenter's Halloween. Uh, this is not anything to do with John Carpenter's film. It just was when uh, it was picked up for distribution in the States. They got rid of the original name, Snapshot, and called it uh, The Day After Halloween. Uh, however, the release here by Vinegar Syndrome is its original title, Snapshot. Um, it is not a slasher film based off of the alternate title you would think it may be. But no, it is not. Uh, but before we get into that, let me uh, read the the synopsis of the film, Snapshot. Angela, played by Siegfried Thornton, is a young hairdresser having a hard time making ends meet. Looking for a fast way to earn some extra cash, she accepts a job working as a model. Soon, however, she gets the feeling that someone is watching her following her, or maybe even stalking her. Is it her deranged ice cream truck driving ex-boyfriend? Uh, a psychotic admirer, maybe? Or someone more sinister? As Angela delves further into her new and sordid lifestyle, she finds herself growing closer and closer to the deadly truth. Director Simon Winsor, slow burn psychological thriller snapshot melds character drama with moments of shocking violence and nail-biting suspense featuring atmospheric scope photography by vincent montan and a pounding soundtrack from brian may snapshot is a forgotten piece of exploitation and is proudly presented on blu-ray from Sin vinegar syndrome newly restored from its original 35 millimeter camera negative uh, now, Brian May um, isn't the Brian May from the band Queen. This is a different person. However, uh, he is well known, uh, the, the guy that wrote the soundtrack for this film. He's well known because he did the original music for Mad Max, the original Mad Max film. Um, the other actress here um, that I mentioned, uh, the one of note, which oddly they gave as the star, even though she isn't, Siegfried Thornton is, but Chantelle Contori, uh, she was actually in the, the vampire film Thirst, um, which is another Australian or Ausploitation film, if you prefer. Uh, so a lot of folks who worked in uh, Australian cinema back in the 70s worked on this film as well, and this would be considered part of the Ausploitation um, I guess, run that, that they had back in the day, even though now they're doing it again with uh, Greg McLean and, and whatnot, pulling in uh, some pretty good films in the 2000s. Um, now, this this is not a slasher film, even though it was marketed as a slasher film in the States. Uh, it's actually a thriller with uh, melodramatic moments. And um, as a result... It, it could actually pass off as a drama with thriller elements and not even an exploitation film. Yet, as the film goes, we have some uh, shocking 
set pieces and violence that turn it into the the I guess the uh, exploitation film that it has fallen under or so it's been enveloped as a uh, as like a horror film for the alternate title obviously the day after Halloween but it is um really not a true horror film it's it's but it is a genre film for sure because of um the the violence uh a little nudity not much and obviously the theme um now uh the set let's set this up um before i talk about uh the movie and um the disc itself uh basically there's this girl that works as a hairdresser um she is pretty good at her job so certain people always ask for her including this pretty um successful model um played by um uh Chantal Contori uh, her name is Madeline in the movie um and she always asks for Angela when she goes to get her hair done um but before we get into that there's this flashback or flash forward scene at the very beginning of the film basically there's a building that's burnt down and basically in I'm not sure what city but uh, a big city anyway and we have a crew of firemen policemen in in hazmat suits going through and they find a, a charred body in the building and we see Madeline the fairly successful model pull up in her um, car running and screaming saying oh my god Angela Angela so then we flash back to um, a few two two weeks earlier or something like that or, or a month earlier or something so where what we get is we are introduced to Angela and was she the person that may have died in the fire and what happened to her but we're gonna have we're gonna basically now have an hour and 37 minutes or so uh from uh meeting angela to what we saw in the flash forward scene prior to the credits but um what happens is is basically uh madeline takes a shine to her to angela and thanks her girl next door um, cute looks could be used in some photo shoots and she says to her that why don't you instead of doing hair become a model and of course Angela thinks this is ludicrous very ridiculous because she thinks of herself as just a plain Jane um, and and she is one of those girls that are very curious where when she's not in makeup or in fancy clothes she is very attractive but when she puts on makeup and fancy clothes she's a sex bomb so um you know think of the the hot librarian uh, after work the librarian goes out on the town and she's a fox that, that's this is what angela kinder is but she doesn't know this um so when she's offered a thousand dollars a thousand dollars or wh whatever that is in australian uh money uh she takes the job and says why not um and 
we then learn between the time she takes the job to the time that the photo shoot happens, we learn a little bit about Angela, including that her mother is domineering and also looks down on Angela as a loser. Um, her her uh, um, siblings and, and things of that nature, cousins, whatever, they, they all um, are, are, you know, they look at her as as a nobody basically because she, she's the type of girl that, or woman that can be pushed around a bit and doesn't really um in other words she's not prideful or or ar argumentative type so when someone says something bad to her she kind of just lets lets it go and uh when that happens enough and a lot of enough people see this happen to you then you become tagged as um not necessarily a loser, but someone that that is easy to, to push around, basically. Um, so what happens is, and this is where the original title snapshot comes from. She uh, goes to this beach, and they take a bunch of photos of her. Uh, it's basically for a perfume. It's going to be for a perfume ad in the magazines. And they ask her to go topless. However, they promise her that uh, they will won't show her face in any any uh, um, photography or, or any of the um, the ads that are going to be in the magazines. So the day goes by, she gets the the money, and uh, a, a couple of days later they want to hire her again. Basically, they want to make her part of their group of models. Um, and uh, Madeline is, is married to uh, someone that's fairly important in uh, media, uh, whether it's television, magazines, whatnot. So she, she's in now with a crowd of people that have some pull, uh, especially in a country like Australia, which is, at this time anyway, was even smaller than it was now. And just as it was then and now, it's probably the same, which is, uh, a lot of the same filmmakers and the same actors and the same uh, scorers and the same writers all know each other in Australia now, and they've all worked with each other some way, you know, basically six degrees to Kevin Bacon. So Greg McLean is somehow six six degrees away from uh, the, the the third actor uh, listed um, as the backup singer of some obscure Australian film type of thing. Um, so what happens is is that the ad is eventually released and it's in some major magazines and th th she finds out that they actually do show her face with her uh, being topless and um, this picture that's part of the advertisement for this perfume called Bermuda or something I, I forget what it's called but it's Bermuda is, is part of the name it takes off and she becomes the hot it girl uh, model and uh, and that's the where the word snapshot because this one shot is is what makes her popular however she has some issues as we said her mother is a scumbag a lot of her family are scumbags her friends are really not really good friends they're users um, she has an ex-boyfriend who, who is like clingy and bothers her and calls her and you know it's like 
we're broken up, goodbye, but he refuses to, to uh, move on. Um, scene where his, her mother steals her money. She says, oh, well, now that you're moving out uh, or that you are uh, got this good job, you can pay me back for food and board since you were a baby. And when she's not in the room, she goes, you know, she happens to be uh, um, outside or whatnot. She has her money stolen by her mother. So the thousand bucks that she just made is gone. So, you know, it's it's one of those things. And so because her she's desperate, even though she's fairly popular now and becoming popular, she's still living on the fringes. Um, and as a result, with her money being stolen from her mother, she's not a... Um, getting a steady paycheck anymore like she was she was when she was a hairdresser now so she has no job and she has to wait until the next modeling gig and her money's gone she is more apt to be exploited by the people around her so the question is who and how will she be exploited so is Madeline or her husband going to exploit her somehow or are they just using her is the photographer who did the shoot and he's a well-known photographer is he just a user you know and then of course the mother and then we got the ex-boyfriend and we got all these other folks that are there she has a bunch of roommates uh in this loft that she um rents with and they begin to start treating her uh, terribly, a lot of it can be jealousy. Now, you know, whatever. Here's the girl that we used to just laugh at, and now she's someone of significance. Um, now, how is this uh, exploitation or horror film? Well, it's mostly, oddly, uh, an hour drama with a bunch of exploitation midnight movie stuff that happens at the last 30 minutes. Because uh, there's some murders, there's crazies, there's all this stuff that we go, holy smokes, this is, you know, a B-movie uh, bonanza. But it takes an hour to get there. I mean, there's a little nudity, you know, during the food photo shoot and whatnot. But generally, this film doesn't really have a lot of midnight movie things uh, that would attract midnight movie folks. So folks who came to see this film when it was retitled the day after Halloween were probably pissed because it's not a real horror film in the sense uh, of what it was being marketed as. Now, is the film any good? Well, it depends. Um, it is a solid film. It's the, I think it's the directorial debut of uh, uh, Simon Winsor, and, and he went on to do some pretty damn good films. Uh, not, not huge budget or huge films that, that are household names, but some damn good little films. Um, and so it, for, for that, for, as a first gig, it's pretty damn good. But it's for a select audience, because if you're really into midnight movies... It's not a horror film, and it's not an exploitation film. It's really, like I said, it's it's more of a uh, drama with some thriller elements at the end. Um, now, when you do get to the end, 
the, the there's two huge set pieces that are really really uh, good um, and I won't even talk say what they are but let me say what what it is it, they both lead to um, the fire that we saw at the beginning of the film and that scene alone the fire scene alone at the beginning never mind what happens at the end is pretty pretty intense stuff but basically there's two setups and I'll, I'll explain a little bit what they are one is she gets a job from a bigger modeling company that's willing to pay her a thousand dollars a week not just a sh as a shoot but a, a for, per week um, and then ten thousand for shoots or something like that so, so some really damn good money and uh, there's a thing that leads up to that that is part of what happens at the end and who are these this company that's has just given her this job um, and you're not really sure because uh, they you know I, a couple of things I was thinking like oh uh, they're they're um, kidnappers and they're gonna because she has to go to uh, Fiji or something like that to do a, a shoot but the moment she leaves the country could she be kidnapped and sold off uh, as a sex slave or something I mean you don't know and and it, it's a little they're a little off it seems but it could be legit and again I'm not gonna say because you should, you should watch the film if you want to know um, for the fire there could be somebody that's out to get her because obviously they're not going to just have a do ex machina and have a fire that happens in the loft that sh that she happens to be in when uh, the fire occurs so somebody that she knows is a danger to her so again it's for a certain type of audience this film it's not for a straight horror fan or a straight exploitation fan but if you like uh, character studies and dramas and a uh, little over top uh, craziness this film is pretty good um, now the disc itself the vinegar syndrome's disc there, there's a couple of really good things about it um, basically the film is a curiosity because it was actually released in Australia at 145 minutes and then when it was sent out internationally it was uh, 137 minutes unfortunately there is no good copy of the 145 minute version of the film so the fully remastered version is the 137 minute but they do have a um, what we would call a, uh, um, I guess, an extra of the Australian cut of the film. Now, I got to say, that's pretty cool. So you get to see the Australian cut, even though it is basically just a VHS rip of the movie. So it is here, so you can see that extra seven to eight minutes. But honestly, I must say that that seven to eight minutes that was cut for the international release isn't really that big of a deal there's one scene of nudity that was cut and some two of her roommates uh, a guy and a girl 
uh, a nude and, and going at it, and she walks in on him. And then the rest is just more fights with her mother or, or whatnot. Um, one thing that is unfortunate, though, is, for example, Severin, they, they, they did something that was pretty cool once where they spliced in uh, an extended cut of uh, Malabimba, which was a film that I, I reviewed in, uh, I think, episode one of Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, where um, they remastered the film, and then the, the pieces that were cut are from tape masters. They allow you to pray, play the film with an option of having those scenes reintegrated into the film that you're watching, even if the quality wasn't as good in those scenes. So you could watch the film with the scenes added, so five to ten minutes were in a VHS quality, but at least spliced in. Or you could watch it as uh, the, the cut that was fully remastered without the extended scenes. Here, they didn't do that. They have the whole uh, Australian cut as its own special feature, all in VHS. And it would have been kind of cool if Vinegar Syndrome had taken the time to splice in or at least have an option where you could press play with the cut scenes added, even if they were um, in, in inferior quality. But at least they give you the option to see both versions of the film. Uh, and honestly, uh, the cut or the streamlined version, which is the international version, is, is fine. Also, they have um, a commentary track with uh, the director, Simon Winsor, the producer, Tony Ginane, or Ginane, uh, an another producer, uh, I'm sorry, uh, the lead actress, uh, Sigrid Thornton, and then the cinematographer, Vincent Montan, um, as I stated, the alternate feature-length Australian cut. They also have a producing snapshot interview with uh, Tony Jinane, the producer. Uh, not quite Hollywood interviews, extended interviews from the the not quite Hollywood documentary. So uh, there was actually a documentary a few years back called Not Quite Hollywood, which was basically a documentary on exploitation cinema from Australia, and uh, basically they they took pieces from that documentary that were related to the people in this film as well as Snapshot itself and added it as a uh, extra on the disc. Uh, also there's the, the trailers and TV spots, um, photo gallery uh, from behind the scenes. There's actually um, a reversible cover artwork so you can um, flip it um, the disc to the day after Halloween title versus the snapshot title if you prefer um, to do so. Um, and then um, they do have subtitles, English subtitles for the hearing impaired. Um, so the, the disc itself is pretty damn good because you get a second copy of the film even if it's not spliced into uh, the, the main uh, HD transferred picture and you also get the director's commentary and um, uh, the interviews and, and snippets from 
not quite Hollywood documentary. Uh, so, so the disc itself, uh, with all the extras, is is worth it. Uh, right now, um, get it around 22 bucks, I think, uh, online. You can get it right through uh, Vinegar Syndrome itself if you want, uh, or you can uh, get it through Amazon or Best Buy or Walmart.com or whatever. Um, so. I wouldn't say it's a high recommend for exploitation cinema fans because it isn't really an exploitation film, even though the last 30 minutes are most certainly midnight movie madness. Um, so I would say it is for a select group of viewers, uh, and you would have to make up your mind if what I said or whatever blog that you read that talks about the film, whether or not it's for you. Um, but uh, solid film um, and definitely worth checking out if you are into Australian uh, cinema and um, Australian thrillers. The film I'm uh, going to discuss is a brand new release. It just came out within the middle of 2017 during the summer. Uh, the film is released by Severin Films, uh, one of the best uh, boutique labels out there. Uh, they actually have some of the uh, best releases that anyone can find, and I would highly recommend them as a company. Their customer service is fantastic, and I enjoy a lot of their films. Um, now, this film here is entitled Bag Boy Lover Boy. Bag Boy Lover Boy. Uh, very odd title, but again, this is an independent film originally. Uh, it has been uh, released by, uh, I said Severin. It actually came out in 2014 uh, through the festival circuit, but basically sat around for a number of years before finally being released uh, for everybody to see in 2017, specifically by Severin. Uh, Severin Films, Severin-Films.com, S-E-V-E-R-I-N-Films.com. Now, uh, let's, let me read, uh, I guess, the, the back jacket and a couple of blurbs and uh, talk about the film and the disc and whatnot. Okay, Bag Boy, Lover Boy. It has been hailed as raw, funny, and twisted, condemned as soul-crushing and dripping with filth, and cheered as a fresh new outsider vision at film festivals around the world. In this sincerely disturbing debut from co-writer-director Andres Torres, a slow-witted misfit named Albert, John Walker giving what Horror News calls the best male performance in horror film this year, sells hot dogs all night from the most unsanitary food cart in downtown Manhattan. But when he's invited to become the new model for a manipulative fetish photographer, Albert will be exposed to a seething city underbelly where desire masquerades as perversion and depravity poses as art. It may shock you, you might even be appalled, but you have never seen anything quite like Bag Boy, Lover Boy. Uh, a couple of blurbs here. Uh, a terrific film, a true work of exploitation cinema, unafraid to take risks and visit dark places by allthingshorror.com. And disturbing and gritty, 
this movie doesn't defy conventions, it molests them uh, by uh, a place called Encore. Um, the film has been reviewed by IndieWire, uh, Fantasia, the, the festival, uh, nextprojection.com, Pop, Optique, among others. Um, the director is Andres Torres, as I said. This is his feature film debut. Prior to this, he has done mostly shorts. Uh, the lead actor, a uh, guy named uh, John Wachter, or Wachter, uh, he is a foreign born, not sure from where. Uh, however, he has been a director of short films as well. And there are some uh, short films as extras on this disc by the lead actor, uh, John Walker, included as some of the the, um, the extra material on the on the Blu-ray. Um, now, uh, the other actors of note is uh, Theodora Boloskas, and uh, he's he's basically the other main lead in the film. However, there is a number of uh, uh, women performers as well. Um, now, the thing that's uh, interesting about this film is that it does take place in Manhattan, and as uh, you can gather, it's an exploitation horror film. It's definitely a throwback to the films of gone, uh, long gone days, so we're talking films from the late 60s all the way to the 70s, and, and, and a bit... Um, maybe even the 80s. Um, the reason I say that is, as uh, folks may know, Times Square used to be a dirty, grimy place back prior to Mayor Rudy Giuliani, who cleaned the, the area up, made it now one of the best and uh, greatest tourist places in the world, family-friendly, even though they do have uh, some issues with um, uh, what they call... Uh, painted naked girls there uh, because uh, New York is known for their um, I guess uh, you, can, you in other words you, you can legally be topless in New York City uh, they cannot be fined or arrested uh, so Times Square now has that as an issue where uh, people dress up as the Statue of Liberty woman and they're topless and they're painted with the American flag on them and whatnot and then tourists take pictures with them uh, but otherwise, um, Times Square is a great place, uh, family-friendly, a lot of good things such as uh, the Disney stores there and whatnot. Um, now, but back in the day, it was known as, um, I guess, a porno theater place, strippers, hookers, drug dealers, um, grindhouse theaters, exploitation movies, all sorts of things that um, bring out uh, the strange folk, especially during the night hours. Um, and uh, it's, it's funny that, that this film here, um, Bag Boy, Lover Boy, is now released uh, right now, 2017, because uh, just recently a new television show called The Deuce on HBO uh, which is a throwback th of the 1980s or so of how it was back then. And this film, even though it takes place today, it has the same feel. Uh, 
Uh, the deuce actually means Times Square. That's just a nickname for Times Square. Um, so, uh, as stated here, this there's this this um, individual. He is a little slow, or he acts a little slow, or at least he has no social skills. And he works at a hot dog stand uh, at night where folks come by uh, when they come out of the clubs. New York City's uh, well known even to this day to be a 24-hour city. Clubs and booze can be sold throughout the day. Uh, it's not like other cities where everything closes down at 2 o'clock in the morning. And these hot dog stands are great places to make some money because all the drunks and uh, party goers and hookup people, they all come out of the, the dance clubs and whatnot. And and there you go. First thing they see is the hot dog stand. Um, unfortunately, this guy here uh, is somewhat clueless. He serves hot dogs where in unsanitary conditions. For example, he would drop a hot dog on the ground and he still would try to serve it. One of the dirtbag clientele, basically some uh, hot shot, white collar, punk kid, you know, 25 or whatever, clubbing, uh, tries to start a fight with him. I can see why he would be angered, but definitely he's out of line for how he acts. And our hero, or I should say protagonist, um, is saved by uh, this this older guy, a guy probably in his uh, 40s, 50s, and um, threatens the, the punk Wall Street, whatever, uh, you know, basically seems like he's going to get in a fight and uh, the guy backs down and leaves. So this guy here, this, this hero... Um, offers a job to our hot dog stand man uh, for uh, modeling. Uh, even though this guy is in no way uh, a model, he definitely does not have a face for television or film. He has a distinct look that interests our um, quote-unquote hero. Days go by and eventually uh, they hook up and he goes to the guy's studio. Now, uh, that's pretty much the setup for the film. Um, this guy, our bag boy, lover boy, whatever you want to call him, he's uh, lives alone, uh, has pornography on the wall, um, definitely someone that, uh, you know, he, he, he's the type of guy that would let people into his his uh, room or his his studio apartment and not think twice of about having pornography on the wall. He's that, he's that like, clueless. Um, now, when, when, when he gets to this this um, studio, we find out that this guy is one of these artsy-fartsy uh, photographers. And he's at the fringe of pornography and art. So, you know, a lot of naked girls, weird scenes to symbolize um, society, whatnot. So, for example, there's a, there's a one scene where he has um, the nude model wear a pig nose, and she 
uh, goes over to the male model and just snorts around him like a pig would. And he, they start taking pictures and whatnot. And it's supposed to be something to do with, um, you know, whatever. You, you can think of this, what it, it's supposed to symbolize. But this is the type of guy we're talking about. A guy that does pretentious art, but then also does pornography art as well. Um, but he's, he's pretty much on the level. I mean, he's you know, paying the people. He's, he's got uh, most likely uh, everything over the table, nothing under the table. So it's not like he's a crook. He's just uh, a little, I guess, uh, seedy, I guess the word is. Or, but, yeah, you, you, get, you get the point. Um, now, there is a, a issue that occurs. Basically, to get... The hot dog man to keep on coming back for shoots because he has this weird look that works in his both his artistic nude and adult type of photography shoots um, he wants to keep on bringing them back and so he offers him money and whatnot um, you know 100 bucks here for a shoot 300 here whatever but he offers to teach him photography because this guy hot dog man wants to learn to become a photographer and uh, and that's basically the premise um, he is clueless where he can think he could become a super star photographer uh, overnight um, now where does this fall into exploitation cinema besides um, hot naked chicks and underbelly of New York City well, it's a horror film, too. Uh, I don't want to get into further details of how it's a horror film and what occurs that makes it a horror film, because I went in blind. I recommend that you go in as blind as I did. Uh, but basically, um, there are some unfortunate deaths, some to cover up uh, mistakes, some to... Uh, work into uh, what our murderer wants to do and the question is does the murderer even care or know or think of any consequences that will happen um, and, and what will happen if he or she gets caught um, so there, there is some some uh, fairly um, I, I wouldn't really say scary, but definitely disturbing scenes because of the deaths and whatnot. Um, would I recommend this film? Well, that's a good question, because is it worth taking a shot at? Unfortunately, at this time, it's fairly hard to find on VOD, meaning uh, Video On Demand Rentals. Um, I think at this time the only place you can get it is as uh, a disc, physical media, and therefore you would have to either, if you're lucky, have Netflix and their uh, mail away service where they send you discs and then you return them after you see it, or you have to go out and purchase the disc. Uh, I did myself. Uh, you can get it on pretty much anywhere online, obviously places like uh, 
physical stores aren't necessarily going to have this film because it is a boutique label and obviously not um, a, a, a big seller like something like Alien Covenant would be. Uh, but you can find it pretty much anywhere online. I, I know it's on Amazon. Uh, I'm pretty sure you can probably get it on Walmart.com, Best Buy.com, whatever. And, of course, you can get it at Sovereign-Films.com. Uh, the retail price is around $18 to $22. Um, you probably get a used one for maybe the lower end of that. But um, if, you, if you have, like, Amazon Prime, you can get free shipping. If you buy it through uh, Severin, if you spend over a certain amount of money, you can get it free shipping. And also, uh, during uh, holiday weekends like Black Friday and mid-year, uh, six months later, the, the halfway point to the next Black Friday, uh, Severin Films has deals, though some of their newer features are usually not discounted. Um, but if you buy other stuff, you can, you can get the free shipping. Uh, now, w would you, should you or would you want to spend the money? Uh, I think this movie was fantastic. Uh, this will be uh, on my top 20 best horror films of the year for 2017. Though it was technically a 2014 film through the festival circuits, uh, it would be recognized by Dark Discussions Podcast as a 2017 film because that's when it became available to all of us. Um, I, I love the grittiness of this film. It really does have that throwback stuff from uh, the 1960s and 70s. Uh, exploitation cinema, uh, very raw, uh, underbelly society. It reminded me, probably the most famous example of that is from the movie Taxi Driver by Martin Scorsese. If you've seen that film, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, this this is has that feel. Um, it's It's definitely... Uh, like that type of New York City, uh, you know, uh, flashback to those days. Obviously, it's not um, Times Square because Times Square has been cleaned up. But as we know, uh, these type of, of things move to other sections of the city as um, neighborhoods get closed and whatnot. Um, I would... Um, highly recommend it just for the movie itself obviously it being a brand new film the presentation is mint so we're not talking about an old film or old exploitation film from the public domain that had to be remastered and whatnot the film is already perfect right away so you, you got the sound and video quality is a-okay and you get it on HD uh, blu-ray high definition can't go wrong. Now, um, the extras. Well, the main extra, in my opinion, and, and probably the only one of, of importance to me, was uh, the commentary. Uh, the, the commentary is uh, with three people. It includes the director himself, who also is the screenwriter. So, uh, Andres Torres. And Andres Torres co-wrote the film with a, a guy named Tony Comas. But the other two people on the director commentary include actor Theodore Bulowskis, so the, the photographer, the guy that plays the photographer, and the editor of the film, Charlie Williams. Um, they're there throughout the, the, um, the movie, 
if you do listen to it, uh, the commentary, uh, they talk about a lot of things. Uh, they talk about the lead actor, who is not a participant of the commentary, talk about him, how he was cast, uh, uh, whether he's like the, the role uh, in real life meaning a little odd because he is a different looking guy uh, kind of thin um, strange interesting uh, look to him uh, then they talk about uh, the setup how they filmed it where they did it all, all the all the good stuff that you would want if you're a fan of this film uh, the three of them uh, talk about uh, everything um, and it's it's definitely worth listening to at least once uh, it was uh, my second favorite thing on the disc after the movie itself. The movie itself is awesome. Uh, the, I didn't forgot to mention there was one uh, scene which is kind of not really a dream scene but and it's not really a drug scene but when a person does something and has this adrenaline in his or her blood this person then has this this rave dream where they see themselves dancing to rave music like someone would if they had that type of adrenaline in them and that scene alone was awesome uh so um the movie the commentary uh as i stated before there's um some short films by the lead actor john walker or watched her that they um actually uh got on the disc uh i didn't bother seeing them um i'll probably check them out maybe sometime but um, they have no real relations to the film itself, except for the fact that they are done by um, the the lead actor and his um, eye in filmmaking. Um, but um, again, they're just side projects, but maybe worth viewing. And of course, they have the trailer. Um, once again, uh, this is a terrific film. High recommend. And uh, the film is called Bag Boy, Lover Boy, directed by Andres Torres, feature debut, and available everywhere where movies can be found on the internet, including the company that released it, Severin-Films.com. Okay, that should do it. For this episode of Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, Volume 5, uh, this is uh, released basically in the middle to early September. So now that you know nothing, Jon Snow, a Game of Thrones podcast is over, I will be able to uh, focus uh, some time on this podcast, and this podcast will be most likely released around the 15th of every month going forward, uh, at least until uh, one of my side project podcast for a television show um is at least uh uh in hiatus um so the films that were uh, reviewed uh on this episode were in no particular order snapshot the australian 1979 film also known as the day after halloween this film was released by vinegar syndrome in 2017 uh, re fully remastered. It's basically about a young woman who becomes an up-and-coming model and begins to feel smothered by those folks around her. It's mostly a melodrama character study with some thriller and exploitation elements near the end. 
It has uh, two versions of the film, including the uh, international cut and the Australian cut, and a number of extras, including uh, commentary and a standalone interview with the producer. Uh, the next film was Bag Boy, Lover Boy. Uh, this one was released by Severin Films. It is technically a 2014 film from the festival circuit. However, it was released to general audience in 2017 to everybody. So not only is it a boutique label film, but a brand new film. Directed by Andres Torres, American director who... Uh, it is his feature film debut. It is a film about a hot dog vendor in Manhattan who gets hired by a strange photographer to do art house shoots. However, he doesn't want to be in the shoots and wants to be a photographer himself. And so the photographer makes a deal where he will train him to be a photographer. Then some uh, bad things occur, and uh, yeah, you you heard my my review already. Uh, this is uh, with a director's commentary, and also has uh, short films by the lead actor uh, that he had done as well as extras, including the trailer. Jailbait, a film by Asylum, released by Asylum. Uh, this stars the very beautiful Sarah Malaco Lane and directed by Jared Cohn. Uh, Jared Cohn's most recent film, The Domicile, has just been released. Uh, this film here was from 2014. It is what one would call a woman in prison subgenre of exploitation film. It's fairly uh, realistic and it is very dark. And uh, at uh, $8.99 for the disc, it's the cheapest disc out of the bunch that I reviewed tonight. And it has an extra of um, bloopers and a 15-minute making of documentary as well as trailers. The next item was Brunhilder in the Darkness. Brunhilder, B-R-Y-N-H-I-L-D-R, in the Darkness. A anime five and a half hour 13 episode season or or standalone season show uh basically uh telekinetic and psychic uh woman escape from a laboratory and a deep and dark secret around them is uh brought to the forefront as they align themselves with um a local high school boy senior that is into science and astronomy. Uh, this is from 2014 and is available on Blu-ray by Sentai Releasing Company. The last film uh, is Beyond the Darkness, Joe D'Amato's uh, 1979 video nasty horror film uh, with a soundtrack by Goblin, starring the following. Karen Cantor, the lead actor, Cinzia Monreale, and Franca Stoppi. 
the film is about a taxidermist. Uh, I guess he would be an orphan because both his parents have passed. Who lives alone with his housekeeper, and his young fiance dies in the hospital, and from there, his mental state goes to the wind. I guess. <laughs> He's gone, in other words. Um, so th that's the, the last film. That's by Severin. And that was released uh, in 2017. Uh, fully remastered with numerous extras, including interviews with both lead actresses and a hour interview with Joe Diamato himself, uh, who has now passed away. But uh, obviously, um, uh, they were able to get uh, a uh, pre-recorded interview f of him uh, where he talks about his whole career. Um, and those are the five films I saw this week, or I should say for this episode. Uh, I would state, personally, uh, all of them were recommends. The week is probably being Snapshot. Uh, well, the, the, my favorite two were uh, probably Bag Boy, Lover Boy, and Jailbait, specifically because both of those felt more cult filmish. Um, uh, I got re introduced to horror, sci-fi, and all those type of films because of Quentin Tarantino and his cult films, and uh, Jailbait and Bag Boy, Lover Boy definitely feel uh, more into that gritty cult film rather than straight horror or whatnot. Um, but all are definitely high recommends. Uh, I would I would check them all out. Obviously, there's some things, depending on your taste of films, whether or not uh, you would like them. If you don't like anime, you probably wouldn't want to see Brunhilder in the Darkness. If you're not into uh, uh, drama, dramas with thriller elements, obviously Snapshot wouldn't work for you. If you're not into gore, Beyond the Darkness wouldn't work for you. If you're not into uh, Women in Prison, obviously uh, Jailbait is not a film for you. And then Bag Boy, Lover Boy is uh, a very um, uh, cult underground type of film. And if you don't like uh, cult films, you probably wouldn't like that. But generally, though, if you're listening to this podcast, you're probably a fan of... of exploitation, midnight movies, horror films, science fiction, fantasy, thrillers, and so forth. And maybe they're all worth checking out for you. Uh, so uh, hopefully, um, if you have any feedback, uh, emails, I will read them on the internet, uh, or I should say on this, the next episode, uh, darkdiscussions at AOL.com. Send all your emails there. Uh, you can find this podcast under the Dark Discussions Podcast feed on Stitcher, iTunes and Google Play, or you can find it on its own feed, Halloween Boutique Psychotronic Reviews, but uh, it can be found on either of the two, and the website is www.darkdiscussions.com, and we do have a Facebook group called Dark Discussions Podcast Facebook group where you can come and join the conversation and talk all things horror, sci-fi, thrillers, techno, thrillers, mysteries, grindhouse, exploitation, and midnight movies. So uh, uh, thanks again for listening, and uh, we'll talk to you next month, or listen to Talk Discussions Podcast, because you can hear me on that one weekly. Do you like things that go bump in the night, bump, bump in the night, bump in the night, bump in the night, night, night? Are you trying to say something like that? Successful creating an astral man. Exactly.